Welcome to the Harrington Star FinTech Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Discussions. I want to showcase people across our industry who are advocates for change. I love to celebrate the wins, but we know there is so much more to be done to ensure that change actually happens to build a truly inclusive industry. In these diversity, equity and inclusion discussions, I have a number of series. The Humans of FinTech, The Talent Surgery, The Maternity and Paternity Stories, and the longest running of all, the Women of FinTech podcast series. I do lots of work to drive change campaigns across our industry to increase inclusion within the workplace. So please contact me to see how we can partner together. You can contact me through LinkedIn or on my email, nadia.edwards-dashti at harringtonstar.com. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Humans of Fintech Diversity, Equity and Inclusion podcast series. We are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges and walk the talk for change across the entire industry. So I'm super excited because today we are joined by Billy Simmons, the co-founder of Daylight. Daylight is the first and only digital banking platform in the US, specifically designed for and by the LGBT plus community. Daylight's card, app, and digital services prepare members for the future faster by helping them to navigate the financial system, generate smarter habits, and connect with a community working together to build the life they deserve without compromise. And that is an incredible mission, and I'm so, so excited to hear more about it. So Billy is here today to share the story. Hey, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, so... Tell us in your words, what is Daylight all about? So for us, Daylight is about building a more empathetic banking service for the LGBT community. And one that not only, but it's very important to my co-founders and I that we aren't just building a, an LGBT bank for the sake of it and just to acquire LGBT people, but that we're actually you know, making a measured improvement in their lives and serving them from a product standpoint in a way that they have never been served before. before. So yeah, I, I, that's, that's really the, the kind of the ethos that I, that I come, that we all come to this with. I think when a piece of feedback that we get, or, or I guess a reaction that we get a lot is why do LGBT people need a bank of their own? And so the way that we think about LGBT money, it kind of just boils down to LGBT people aren't preparing for their futures fast enough. And it also boils down to it costs money to be LGBT. So we have things like uh, higher rates of student debt, lower rates of mortgage approval, lower savings um, in general, which you know mean that we kind of struggle to pay catch up throughout our lives with our non-LGBT counterparts, and there's you know a ton of reasons for this. A lot of it is just discrimination um, and systemic you know bias, but even beyond that, you know we have one-off costs or sometimes you know multiple uh, large costs that non-LGBT people usually just don't have. So examples of this are the cost of having children for an LGBT couple. The average cost is fifty-five thousand dollars. So that is a cost that most non-LGBT people won't have to encounter just to have a child, right? 
for trans and non-binary people, the cost of you know self-actualization can add up to a hundred thousand dollars. So these are huge, huge one-off costs, in addition to kind of being on the back foot financially. And it has a cumulative effect that means that we are we have lower rates of home ownership and we're less likely to be prepared for retirement. About 50% of LGBT people do not think they will have enough money to live on throughout retirement, which is about 40% higher than their non-LGBT counterparts. So our money is just different and the way that we you know, approach our money is different. And beyond that, you know, we also just aren't being served by the banking industry. The products out there are not built for us and not built with us in mind. And I think we have been given an amazing opportunity to leverage our position within the industry and start actually building things from the ground up with LGBT people in mind. I cannot tell you how informative that intro was. Like, I'm, I'm sitting <laughs> here writing notes. Like, that is absolutely brilliant to hear because you're so right. So many people will just ask, oh, well, why, why do we need that? Not being informed, not, not having been educated to understand the differences. Because for a lot of people, if it's not their lived experience, they, they don't know. Well, it's great they have the curiosity, but they don't know the answers. And it's brilliant for you just to explain that so clearly. Because having heard that, well, no wonder that there is a huge gap in the market for this. And it's great that Daylight is there to serve the underserved. It's, it's a brilliant, brilliant story, mission, purpose. Uh, and I'm so glad we're talking about it today. So I wanted just to, um, before we carry on about Daylight, I just wanted to pause for a second and talk a bit about you. Because one thing I absolutely love is that you've got a background in music. Then you moved to software engineering. And now you've, you've come to find yourself at a business in the fintech sector. I love being able to celebrate people from this sort of dichotomy of a background. So let's hear all about it. Sure. I mean, there was definitely a part of me that used to be kind of embarrassed about the fact that I have a music degree. And indeed, my degree is in pop music, of all things. So it's very specific. Not necessarily great for my employability uh, beyond that. But now I really think of it as a a strength for me because, you know, I have such a non-traditional background. I'm able to really walk into this industry and say, these things are broken. Why are they broken? And I don't have the kind of, you know, the sort of internal biases that come with working in the banking industry your entire life. You know, people, the response I usually get when I ask those kinds of questions are, oh, well, that's just kind of the way it is. And big banks will never change. And there's nothing we can do about it because everyone is worn down. But you know, I have worked most of my professional career in fintech, but largely in early stage fintech. So at companies and at incubators and VCs that are that are really pushing the boundaries and asking the questions of why is this broken and what can we do about to fi- about it to fix it. So really, you know, my whole professional career has been about asking those questions. And then I think also being part of the LGBT community itself has really just led me to start you know, asking those questions about our community specifically. You know, m- my background is very generalist. You know, I've done software engineering, I've done marketing, I've done ops, I've done a little bit of everything. And so how can I use those skills to empower my community? How can I use those skills for the, for the better of my community? Mm. Has been a question that I've been asking myself for a long time. And really, actually, training as a software engineer was the first time that I'd actually, I actually felt like I had tangible skills to start 
you know, improving the lives of LGBT people. You know, I built a, I built an app before this that was a, was sort of Yelp for safe spaces for trans and non-binary people, Great. which is really just built out of my own lived experience as a trans woman. And also my, my friend's experiences where, you know, I was getting laser hair removal up in Queens, which was a three hour round trip because it was the only place that I knew for sure was a trans friendly laser hair removal clinic and wouldn't discriminate against me. And I'd found out that information from scrolling through a Tumblr blog and happening to chance upon a recommendation from a fellow trans woman. We, we have got this, got to this point as a community in a very kind of I hesitate to say disorganized because we are a very organized community, but the way that we share information could maybe be more organized and more centralized. And at the moment, even to this day, finding out information that is going to help you as an LGBT person survive and thrive is still, you're still trawling through Reddit threads and you're still, you know, having to use whisper networks and asking people and knowing people personally. And if, if you don't have access to those communities already, you just don't get that information and you have to figure it out by yourself. So I think uh, this is a bit of a tangent now, I guess, about why I think tech for good is so important. But, you know, I think my whole career has been about how I can use the skills that I have accumulated over my career to make life easier for the next generation of LGBT people and indeed the current generations of LGBT people. Yeah. I really, really love the way that you've you've said all of that. Like I've written down, how can I use my skills to empower my community and better my community? And that is something I really want to quote you on and just, just pause for a second. And everyone listening to this, we all need to ask ourselves that question because imagine if that is what is driving us all forward in today's society. Like it makes such a difference and it's such, you know, I'm, I'm very mission values, purpose led. Like it's, it's what I, what I've fallen in love with within the fintech community and so different to what it was like 20 years ago and it's just such a brilliant question to to ask ourselves so it kind of takes me on to where we go next so um i i kind of understand where the light bulb moment came from with daylight because you've given us such like such clear evidence of the gap in the marketplace but just thinking about you your journey and your career when did you know it was the right moment to actually do this it sort of happened a bit by chance. I'm a, I'm a big believer in serendipity and in keeping an open mind about the opportunities that come your way. I, yeah, it's kind of a funny story. So I, so I was working on my previous startup, which was the Yelp for Safe Spaces. And it wasn't really going anywhere, to be honest. Um, it was really hard to figure out a revenue model that worked because there's not a lot of critical mass aside from in New York and LA for trans and non-binary people. And I'd spent about nine months on it, living off savings and just really trying to make this work and trying to do everything myself, trying to build it, trying to promote it, trying to engage with the community. And I'd learned a ton, but I knew that it, I knew that its days were numbered in terms of viability. And so I kind of, I sort of had mentally called it a day um, at this point and the, the, the pandemic had started at this point. So things were kind of just weird day to day anyway. And I, I was approached by my co-founder, Rob, um, to do some user testing. And he just wanted to hear me talk about my experiences as a consumer in banking in the US. I think the, the meeting slot was booked for about an hour and I spoke for three because I realized suddenly that there was so much broken. When I actually started 
to walk through my experiences as a trans woman and the different systemic barriers that I had personally come across and all of the different just little things that were wrong, all of the different like tech difficulties and bureaucracy difficulties. Suddenly this was a light bulb moment. I was like, holy I'm not sure if I can swear on this, but holy S word, like, (laughs) holy shit, this is like, this is a huge problem. And if, you know, I also think about my experiences as like a best case scenario, right? Like I'm a privileged white trans woman who passes and who is British in America, which, you know, holds a lot of social capital. (laughs) And I'm, you know, I'm relatively financially stable and I have the space to go through all of these emotionally and difficult processes But if I was a poor black trans woman and I was working a minimum wage hourly job, I don't have time to go to court for half a day to get my name changed. I don't have the money to do it. And so it just, it really just occurred to me that that there was a huge opportunity here. And then I was kind of just looking around at, at jobs and kind of just trying to figure out what my next step would really be. And I looked at what was then, it was called Be Money at the time. It was a slightly different proposition um, that Rob had kind of started out of a venture studio and looked at what they were doing. And I was like, oh, this is so interesting. I wish there was a way for me to get involved, but I couldn't see anything listed. And I, I was like, maybe I'll meet, re- reach out to Rob later, but I won't do anything now. The next day he messaged me and said, just listen to a user interview. Let's figure out how to get you involved in this. And I, I just knew at that point that this was a sign that this was what I needed to do next, to be honest. There have been a lot of moments like that in my life where, you know, the universe has pushed me strongly in, in one direction or another. And I have no regrets thus far um, from any of the decisions that I've made. And, you know, I, I, I really just went with it. And I, I, I went with it from a perspective of, let's just see, let's see what there is here. It's kind of funny, actually, because at the time I was trying to find work as a software engineer and they weren't hiring for software engineers. And I remember my my best friend saying to me, I don't know if you should I don't know if you should take this job, if you should get involved, because it's not on what your plan is supposed to be. I think you should work at like a big company as a software engineer and work your way up. And I was just I was like, I don't know. I just, I, there was something that told me that this was the right thing to do, even though it wasn't in my plan. And even though it wasn't, you know, the logical next step for me to, to take. And it turned out to be the best decision I've probably yeah. ever made in my life because this is my dream job. I get to spend all day geeking out about fintech and financial infrastructure with the LGBT community. Like it's just a perfect combination yeah. of all the things I'm interested in. And look, look at your passion about it and just, you know, like it's infectious, your passion, like the way, the way that you describe it, like how, you know, it's so important that we get behind you and support the changes that you are making happen day in, day out. And it's brilliant to see. So, so what are the sort of day in, day out challenges that you face in the business that you have to overcome as a business? So I, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but the finance wasn't built for anyone other than a straight white cis man. They were the ones that largely invented the system in the US and there haven't been a lot of, there hasn't been a lot of innovation since. And when you think about that, you know, suddenly everything, when you think about the financial system through those lenses, suddenly everything makes sense. It's super hard to update your name from a legal perspective, what it does to your credit score, what it does to your banking systems, the processes involved. Who is the one group of people in the US who by and large, never have to change their name. 
straight white men. Mm-hmm. And so the system is just not designed for us. So really like my job is to look at the entire industry and the entire, like all of the processes that we have to go through to access, you know, our basic human needs um, with finance and figure out where the pain points are. So, you know, the, the first thing that we have launched and, and released is the ability for trans and non-binary people to put whatever name they want on their card, regardless of if it matches their legal identity. This is just yeah. shocking that this is about just leveling the playing field. You know, th- this, yeah. is, this is the thing that I really want people just to take away from this, that what you're talking about is simply just, like this is parity in its most basic form. Like it, it's just getting yeah. the name right, isn't it? It's just, it's yeah. incredible. So sorry for, to, for butting in, but you know, I'm just, yeah, I'm really just hearing what you're saying and it's hitting home for me. It means yeah, a lot. It's, it's astounding, you know, the, these... I mean, yeah, I I consistently have similar moments like you just had there where I'm like, this is just about basic human dignity and basic human access to the things that we need to live our lives. That's it. I'm not, you know, really, I'm not doing anything that out of pocket or, you know, that groundbreaking. Another great example of something that I'm currently working on, there's not really a fix for this just yet, is on credit scores, um, when you update your name on a credit, like, and the credit bureaus recognize it, all of your previous names are uh, listed on your credit report. So in the US, your credit score is pulled for employment and for housing. And who has the lowest level of uh, employment and of housing stability? Trans people, trans people of color specifically. And so, you know, I just rented this place. My landlord I presume knows that I'm trans because my dead name was on my credit report when he pulled it. And so again, I'm incredibly lucky. I have a ton of privilege and I've, you know, by and large been able to sidestep these things, but you know, these are suddenly you realize like that this is the reason that these things are happening to us because the the system is not designed for us. So yeah. So the names on cars thing has been such a huge, you know, a, a huge step for us because it just means that, Instead of having to go to court with a doctor's letter, get a court document, take that to the bank to get notarized, handing that into a bank teller and spending hundreds of dollars and hours of your time outing yourself multiple times just to get a debit card with your name on it and still being dead named. I'm still dead named every time I log into my banking app because my username is based on my, my name and I opened the account before I transitioned there's nothing they can do about that or nothing they will do about that. And so we built a solution that essentially just allows people to put whatever name they want on the card. Because yes, when you sign up for account, you do have to put your legal name in and your legal identity, but there is actually, there is no, there is no regulation that requires uh, your legal name to be on a card. And actually like we've done a ton of, you know, of auditing and of, of checking like the kind of risk and compliance of this feature, there is, there is no significant uh, increase in risk allowing people to have this feature. And, you know, when we worked with our partners at Visa to, to build out this feature, they did an internal audit and realized that actually they've never required this. And people have just been requiring this because they presume that that is what is required. They have their own mental model of the world. Yeah. 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 And so People could have fixed this problem decades ago. This never needed to be a problem in the first place, but no one ever has. 
And this is why we need lived experience, diversity of thought, people of different backgrounds, being able to, to as you said, coming from a music background, not, not having been in banking for 20 years, not sitting there going, well, that's the way it's always been done. You know, it's, it's, it's absolutely infuriating, actually, like hearing, hearing everything that you're saying. Like, I'm annoyed it's, it's gone on for this long. But at the same time, like, if I put my business hat on, I'm really excited for you and your business because like, this is a massive gap that no one's done anything about for a long, long time that desperately needs, needs the change that, that you are instilling and making happen. And I can imagine like once, once we move further forward six months a year, I can imagine all the banks will be looking at this saying, oh, wow. Uh, we, we need to get moving just as it was sort of seven to ten years ago when you know the word fintech started being used and the banks they weren't threatened but then they started thinking oh, oh what, what's this we better get involved so it's a really exciting time for you as a business we've touched upon this well not touched upon it we've spoken about it quite a bit but my next question was going to be around what are the barriers you think that we as an industry need to overcome and I can imagine you know, you're going to be saying that this is systemic, like we, we've got to, we've got to break the system down and almost start it again. But I won't put words into your mouth. I mean, there is definitely an element of that, you know, there not to call anyone out specifically or name names, uh, but it's very easy to Google if people want to Google it. Uh, there are products on the market from incumbent banks that attempt to do this feature with trans names on cards and it doesn't work. <laughs> I, I've used it myself and it dead named me constantly throughout the process. It actually sent letters to my house with my dead address to my dead name. So if I was living with someone who didn't know I was trans or living in a building like that, could have outed me. And it's really just an example of, well, of two things. The first of that incumbent banks are really going to struggle to innovate because they have these big clunky legacy systems that are just hard to build on and hard to innovate with. And the other is, I don't know this for sure, but I would put money on it that no trans person was in a position of power when leading this project. And when I'm saying, you know, building for the good of my own community, this is really a call to action for everyone. You know, I'm just using my lived experience and my friends' lived experiences to fix it for my community. Everyone is capable of doing that kind of stuff. We all have unique perspectives that are incredibly additive to whatever industry we're working in and can fix those problems. But it's up to the decision makers at these companies to empower us and to put us in decision-making positions. This actually just reminded me of, I don't know if you saw the Burger King fiasco um, on International Women's Day. Again, would put money on it that no woman was in a position of power. Absolutely, um, yeah. How was that, that did that. Yeah. Yeah, terrible, awful ad. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's so clear when these solutions are built for a community without bringing the community along or even just like asking them what they think. And it's actually just become a competitive advantage at this point. Like we can build better for the LGBT community than anyone else because we are a team of LGBT people who are also have the expertise to actually build these things. So it's, it really just goes back to diversity, right? Like we know from a, from like a, even from a statistic standpoint, right? That diverse teams solve more complex problems faster but also, if you're building for a community without bringing that community along, you're just going to get it wrong, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. that's so powerful. I think a great way to draw this to a close, it's about 
bringing that community along. And it, it, I mean, it, it is, we, we had the same thing. So here in the UK, there was um, an advert uh, that went out to, to encourage people to stay at home and save lives during the pandemic. And there were four images on the advert produced by the government. And in, in all four images, the, the woman in the picture was cleaning, cooking, or doing the homeschooling. Like, so, you know, so I posed the question on LinkedIn, does this mean that no woman saw this advert before it went out? Or did a woman see it but didn't feel that she was in a position to be able to call out that this is going to, this is, this is not what we want to be representing. And this will make, make it look like this is, this is what the government perceives all women as. Nothing wrong with, with all, all the women that are holding the country together, at, at, like cooking, cleaning and doing the homeschooling. But there are a whole other representation that, that we've forgotten about. And I think the way that you've said that about, you know, if you, if you want to represent a community, get the community involved. What you've said there about just simply leveling the playing field. Like I really hope that this pod has ignited as much um, feeling into people as it has to me, because we're recording this on a Friday afternoon here in the UK for me, a little bit earlier for you, but it's really made me think about how important lived experience is, listening to people's perspectives and acting upon that. But I'm so excited about daylight and, and what, what you will be doing for the whole of the industry, US, UK, globally, because I think it's a huge, this is a huge problem that we need solved. And I think you're the best person to be doing that. So thank you very much for joining us on the podcast series. Thank you so much for having me.